This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger has been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Happy New Year. Con Giovanni, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. It's the history of the Tottenham. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. Chelsea, champions of Europe for a second time, were crowned winners of the Champions League following their 1-0 win over Manchester City on Saturday. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Egan Hart, and joining me is Andrew Conway. We all bid hello to Frank Lampard's glorious Chelsea Champions League winning side. Andrew, where does this final rank among the recent entries? Like it's not the worst final. I think Liverpool uh, Tottenham was pretty pretty terrible. Um, Real Madrid, you know that that it was a very much a damp squib in that second leg or the second half against Juventus that time. But it, it it's it's looking pretty poor. The, the final, it very much uh, was emblematic of the of the whole season. Um, it was teams not really pushing themselves and I don't and obviously the players were pushing themselves but there was a, a very much a clear attack against defense attack doesn't have many ideas defense just has to stay resolute they did and I to be honest even before Kevin De Bruyne went off injured I didn't think the the match didn't seem massively in question and uh, Chelsea were just about good enough for the win and it brings to an end hopefully a dour and disappointing club season See, I think I think you almost don't go far enough in the way that you say that it's emblematic of the season because like the the first half of this match was much better than the second half, and I think that's also true for this season. The first half of the season was actually pretty entertaining, um, despite the lack of fans. Like there was still uh, intrigue, there was still entertainment, there was still um, intensity and tension, and we had that in the first half. And then in the second half, with Chelsea one 0 up going into that. Man City did just kind of run out of ideas and it became a much slower game and Chelsea kind of never really looked in doubt at that point. There was maybe that no. one Riyad Mahrez chance, scuffed chance even, um, which is kind of a, it wasn't even a chance. It was just kind of a shot to it nothing. Was. It was a chance. Um, like it was just, it, it was, was about, yeah, about four, four or five inches wide. <laughs> but I mean that it wasn't like a clear cut chance. He, he made it out of nothing. Um, yeah. Yeah. There wasn't know, much uh, process to it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and to be fair, it was very close, and I think if that had gone in, it would have made things very interesting to finish it off, but the, perhaps the fact that it didn't sums up a lot of um, yeah. the last four or five months of football. Um, but I think in, in compared to recent finals, like that first half alone, I think elevates it above some of the other ones. Like that Liverpool Spurs one, I think, is the nadir of, of modern Champions League finals. Um, yeah. that, that, that had nothing going for it. This, you know, both teams at nil nil were going for it. Uh, Chelsea created a couple of good chances on the break. Man City were trying to to carve open Chelsea, and they they looked like they were getting in behind. But Reece James had a good game. Um, you know, I, I think the first half in general of of the six halves that we've watched these two teams play lately it was probably the mm. best of those six as well. Um. Yeah. You know, the Champions League final as well is also just kind of a low bar these days because, you know, part of the entertainment is the tension of it being a final these yeah. days, more so than a competition between two really good teams going at each other, saying we we will win this way and the other team saying, no, we'll win this way. Yeah, You know, that's maybe reserved for the quarterfinals and the semifinals. They are really the peak of the competition. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I think... 
in terms of an overall, you know, we didn't get quite the same level of entertainment in the quarterfinals and semifinal, but I'm glad that kind of the, the, the final maybe closed that gap a little bit. It would be nice if we saw more finals that were a bit more uh, entertaining uh, in the future then off the back of this, maybe. Yeah, like I, I think what you, there's a couple of points and I think one of the most important ones is that you're right, the finals of the Champions League have not been good for quite a long time and you know, we, we hear it from time to time on, on, you know, from managers and it often just sounds like them complaining and some players make reference to it but never go out of their way to complain about it but in reality this is probably most of these players 60th or 61st or you know in that realm of matches they played this season and in the case of of the current you know season this has been a very long over year long season that kind of just tr- ended or began with the re- remi- the re- resumation resumption that's the word of last season's uh campaign so it's basically been a good year and a quarter uh, of long season so there a lot of these players in the last 12 months have played upwards of 70 80 90 matches between international club and everything else that has been involved pre-season friendlies if you will at, at certain points and they're they're absolutely out on their feet they're wrecked there is a reason why quarterfinals are better or the last 16 are better because the players are fresher there's you know they're way more in the zone if you will they're in the in the perfect fitness zone they're, they're they've been geared up their pre-season all of their nutrition everything has been geared for to be in their peak physical condition at that point in the season by the time they reach here they're just about running on fumes. A lot of them carrying injuries, a lot of them begging for a, a break, and a lot of them not going to get that break because they have to go straight into an international tournament that was delayed since last year. So they're not going to get that uh, nice bit of gap that's going to give them a bit of engine and, and uh, energy for next season. Uh, so that's that's the first point. I think that that definitely, having the number of games, and I, I know the the reforms to the Champions League slash Europe, European Super League only sought to increase the number of games that they would have to have played. Um, so that's a bit worrying for the future as well. But um, like I, I think that just on the, the excitement of this particular match, I think the timing of the of the events in the match, uh, like having early chances and having the goal in the last few minutes of the first half, they kind of, I think, give you a warped sense of how good this the first half was because I think... Probably, you know, we, we talk a lot, and I did as well, about that Liverpool Spurs final from a few years ago. And, I, you know, nothing happened in that match, really. And it was really poor uh, most of the time. But the last, you know, 10 minutes of that match are great fun with, with Origi scoring a goal and, and all the chances that were flying back and forth. And if, you know, if that had happened in the first few minutes of the match, it would give you a different impression of how the match was going. Was going. And I think we got a bit of that in this match, that there was a lot of activity front-loaded in it. Uh, so it gives us kind of uh, as things faded away from that and became very monotonous and formulaic and balls over the top and you know mistakes happening and th- those leading to the chances. I think that gave us a bit of a, a misreading of the of the overall match. At least that's how I felt watching. I was kind of like this match seems better than it actually is because of when things have happened. It's kept me engaged. While if I had forty or fifty minutes of just boredom like we did in that for the after the goal went in in that Liverpool uh, Spurs final. Um, it kind of felt like this is a horrible final because it's going on for far too long. At least we had excitement front-loaded in, in this match. Well, I, like, I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that it is these days quite a low bar for a Champions League final. And a, a yeah. lot as well, like you're right, that they do tend to peak in the last 16 in the quarterfinals. But also at that stage of the competition, there doesn't seem as much to lose. Like if you lose the first leg of a quarterfinal match, first of all, you can turn it around. Yeah. It doesn't uh, mean anything anymore, yeah. It used yeah. to mean something, but not anymore. 
But but even if you get not like you know the risk of getting knocked out in a quarterfinal, like what does that really mean to a player? Like sure, yeah, you, you always know, have it's not nice. It's yeah. not nice to get knocked out, but you're not really there with a, the hand on a trophy at that point yeah. either. Whereas you know when Chelsea go one 0 up, they they have that hand on the trophy. They have so much to lose at that point mm-hmm. that of course they're gonna just kind of sit back and and see if City can can break them down and. You know, it it is kind of wild thing. Like Chelsea have made this habit over the years of sacking coaches and still making it to European Cup finals, Europa League finals. Yeah. Uh, they've done it again this year with tactics. Yeah. Tommy Tuchel took over, as you mentioned, Frank Lampard. Uh, Frank Lampard probably won't get a medal, but you know, get that out of the way. I don't think he's going to get one. Watch <laughs> um, uh, you know, Milan is getting one. Uh... To, to okay. Mori. Well, it's, to it's Maury, different. Yeah. For, it is different for players and, and coaching staff. Um, but I don't I, like. I don't think Rafa Benitez got one for 2014. Um, he should have. Like he should have. He deserved it. But uh, you know, T- Tuchel only came in in what was it February. Uh, you know, he's they've played City three times now in the last six weeks, yeah. as I kind of referred to earlier. Um, how how has he pulled off winning this Champions League? He lost the final last year, so it's a bit of redemption as well. For him, how how did he pull this off? Well, like I, he's definitely surprised me. And I, I, I last week discussed how you know there was a bit of hungry nineteen fifty four about about Man City coming into this match, and that you know Chelsea had got their victories in the league and in the cup, and that's that was what was uh, that was the only victories they were going to get, and they were going to lose out in this final by be, be, be being beaten by a better side. But like two two. You know, part of it, and we, we I, I suppose we're going to start talking about Pep in a second. Part of it is is the the luxury Pep afforded Tuchel to kind of play into his his game plan uh, of, of just playing, you know, attacking quick forwards that would break down the lines and and pound some mistakes, and and that happened, and it led to multiple chances for Chelsea in the match. They're they're only real created chances, of it, if I'm thinking correctly, um, and obviously led to the winning goal, um, and. To be to be honest, the reason they won it is it, it was a heroic display. It was while not Inter against Barcelona in two thousand was that two thousand and nine, uh, when Mourinho masterminded that defensive performance at the new camp that, that beat that great Barcelona side. It it wasn't to that uh level of, of defensive bravery, but it was pretty impressive. It was um yeah, it was just players putting their bodies on the line. A lot of dark arts happening, a lot of kicks, a lot of diving, a lot of, you know, the normal stuff we see in, in in the modern game and it was really exploited to the fullest potential at every possible opportunity and you know i i I think you can only beat what's in front of you and you can only defend what is thrown at you and i think chelsea did that exemplary the players each played their part in it i think everyone put in a shift on that team i don't think there was anyone without exception that was that was you know uh, not running very much. I think I think their their running stats were fantastic for the final for both teams, but uh, especially for a team playing Pep Guardiola, a Pep Guardiola side, their running stats were were amazing for the end of the match. For in such you know, at the end of a long season in a hot climate, it, it was pretty impressive. And I think that's it's just saying that staying in touch with Man City, not letting them get the chances, not letting them break you down, being there, being present effectively at times having two two banks of five which is what they did for most of the matches especially the second half and just Man City having no inspiration no imagination for doing anything into it it's something we've seen a lot of this season it was something that Pep Groyda was doing at the beginning of the season it's something I think they grew out of as the season went on and they seem to have reverted to it at the end of the season and uh, funnily enough it hasn't worked again and um, 
yeah, it's... I don't want to say it's not by any stretch of the imagination. It's not the end of the line for Pep Guardiola or his methods, but it is certainly, I think, an inflection point, and it's something that people can point to as in the future is maybe, ha, huh, you know, Pep is great and he's the master of everything in football and has been for the best part of decade now, but is is this the way to go on and, and win the absolute best trophies if there is such an convenient way to battle it? And really that convenient way is just put everyone behind the ball break and don't concede a goal but you know you, you say it out uh, but it is a lot harder to pull off yeah, than it is than like sit back score a goal team, don't concede a goal like that's you could break every game down like that well yeah you can but at the same time this is something that's not it's not just two that's done this as you said three times Solskjaer's done it time and time again we've seen Mourinho do it against some you have to obviously have a certain caliber of player to do this, a certain caliber of team to do this, a certain discipline in your side and a, a real belief in doing it. Like we saw it last season when Arteta did it against uh, Man City in, was it the semi-final or the, of the FA Cup? It was very similar. It was just say, say discipline, put everyone behind the ball. Do not bother trying to attack. Do not bother trying to create defensive uh, or offensive opportunities. It was very much in the Mourinho philosophy of you don't want the ball kick the ball away from you and I saw Chelsea do it over and over again especially in the second half as the, as the match wore on boot the ball long down the field it doesn't go anywhere it goes back to a, a to Diaz or it goes back to Stones or it's passed out to Kyle Walker and the whole move starts again but Chelsea didn't care they just kept on doing it, it was almost like a tr- um, what's the word it was like a drill in training of a defensive drill clear the lines clear the lines get up clear the lines get up and they weren't even getting up that far uh, they were basically camped right on the like the I think the Chelsea's midfield were mostly on the edge of their own D. Um, that's how, and but the, the defense were right on top of them, and they were they were so compact, so shuffled in. They had nobody down the wings in terms of the defense defenders. They were all in the center, and they had their wingers and their attacking players doing the work on the on the wings. Uh, and it, it was as, as such an impressive defensive display. But at the same time, it's something we've seen teams be able to do against Pep Guardiola sides for years now. And it's something that I thought Pep had, you know, cobbled together a kind of an antidote to it in the middle of the season when they went on that winning run and they started to change the way they played and they played quicker balls over the top balls. They started to be more counter-attacking themselves. But as we said in the last few weeks, as they won the league, as they wrapped it up, as they had those few defeats and a few disappointing results, we were like, oh, this is... Pep is kind of reverting to norm in this and they're playing that passing football that has no result oftentimes if the, if the team doesn't give you an opening. Um, and again, I thought I thought Pep wouldn't do this in this final, or if they did, they would have something better up their sleeve, but they did it in this match. And again, not to bash on Pep or anything like that, because I think he's been supremely good this season. I think a lot of the best things City have done this season are down to him and the way he's he's tweaked things. But in this final, it it simply didn't work out. And w- when he knew it wasn't working out, which I think we all knew as in the first half, this wasn't working. I was expecting, well, not wholesale changes in terms of personnel. I would think I, I was expecting a tweak in the way they were playing. And in the end, the only tweaks that came were, okay, fire on a few cent more for center forwards and we'll, we'll try and lob the ball into the box. And I don't recall... Like the the biggest thing I remember Gabriel Jesus doing, I think, was getting booked for a, a petulant kick out, which was absolutely taken on board by the Chelsea player. And he hit the deck and he took an extra 30 seconds for that free kick and he loved it. And and that is not the way you win the Champions League. Um, and I, 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 for one, was very disappointed in the Man City's performance and I thought they were better than that. And I thought they, the players deserve better and I thought the fans deserve better. Um, but 
you know, fair play to Chelsea. They did their bit and they, while not winning it as heroically as they did in 2012, which was, you know, one for the books beating Barcelona and then that the match that Bayern Munich could not score in to save their lives. Um, this is, you know, historic. They are by far the most successful London side in Europe. Um, they remain the only London team and one of the few capital city teams outside of Madrid to actually have won a European Cup and they've come back and done it again, which puts them into a, a very small group of, of, of teams that have actually managed to come back and do it again. It's what them and I think Porto are level with them with two titles. They're only, is it one title behind Manchester United now at this point? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, level at Nottingham Forest. They're, they, you know, th- this is, this is um, not an epoch defining result for, for Chelsea yet. I think if they got another one, it would be. But they've moved up in that historic ranking now and they are. They're no longer just a one-trick pony, a one-hit wonder, a, a Borussia Dortmund, a PSV Eindhoven. They are a Feyenoord, a Celtic. They are now a team that has managed to do this twice with two separate teams. Is there anyone left from that first team? Maybe Kevin De Bruyne was on that side <laughs> or was in that squad uh, back in 2012. I'm not really sure. But, um, you, know, it, you know, it shows that the, that the club has a legacy and that it has uh, roots and that it has... Um, yeah, future. You know, it's it's stupid to say that Chelsea Football Club, a club that's over 100 years old, has a future. But it, they they've they've made their claim and they've won it and they have trophies to prove it. And it proves that Roman Abramovich project has been a success for whatever for whatever you may think of it and the evils that it's brought to football. It's worked. Yeah, like I think, you know, really, it's about time Chelsea win a second one. Like it seems weird to say because you know there is so English much teams don't behind. win often. But that is that is the that is the mythos of the Champions League. Is teams besides Real Madrid, of course, uh, yeah. don't actually win it that often. Like this is only their third final as well. They lost in two thousand eight as well. Um, mm-hmm. So and they, you know they've made it to numerous semifinals, um, at, at, which I feel like is usually the ceiling most teams hit. And then that one year they break through, they get a final, um, and then they maybe win it. Um, except for those special sides like that Barcelona side under Pep Guardiola. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think for this win, Tuchel deserves a lot of the credit. You know, I think I was quite wrong about what to expect mm. from, from Tuchel. Like, I know he's a good co- coach. I knew he had a, a decent pedigree going into taking this job, but I didn't think he'd be this successful so quickly. And yeah. I think the most impressive part of it is the way that immediately he got them playing in a, in a, in a particular style. You could immediately see his impact on the team. Uh, which is also, I suppose, kind of a knock to Frank Lampard because, you know, 18 months into his Chelsea tenure, I never, ever felt that way about his team. But, you know, this is, no. this is Tuchel's moment. Um, you know, he's had a he's had a pretty long managerial career at this point. You know, he, he started out at Mainz. He spent a good few years there and at Dortmund. And then two, three years at PSG where things just never seemed to go well for him. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think this is this is a really big moment for him. And it really puts him among the elite coaches now because this is this is... You know, this isn't league. Oh, this is winning a Champions League. Um, it's always impressive. Uh, and and you can look to, I suppose, the teams they beat. You know, I do think it was a bit of a weak year for the Champions League. The best side they mm. faced was Porto. Um, and, yeah, you know, I think that 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 was actually the closest tie. Like that was a closer tie than I think the scoreline suggests. Even though it finished two one, I think on aggregate, but it was a late consolation goal for Porto. Like Porto could have gone through in that tie. Um, things had fallen slightly differently. Um, but Atletico and, and Real Madrid, they were both pretty poor this year. Um, mm. Man City as well were poor in the final. I, I just wanted to give Tuchel that credit, though, because as as John Giles always said, you can only beat what's put in front of you. 
Um, yeah. And then I suppose to go to your discussion on Pep, um, I suppose the moment that we all kind of suspected this wouldn't be their night was when the, the lineup uh, came out and we saw mm. no Fernandinho, no um, Rodri in midfield, a kind of partnership that had worked very well this year. And we talked about it last week and it's kind of why we decided on Pep Guardiola for best manager in our award ceremony is that Pep had adapted to COVID ball better than anyone else. He'd made the team more defensively solid. Yeah. And then he just completely abandoned all principles of that um, in this lineup going with Gundogan in, in kind of the, the defensive midfield role. And it just didn't really work. Like, you know, you could see it was exploited for the goal. Timo Werner made the run that, that dragged Ruben Diaz out of position. Mm-hmm. And there was just a gaping hole in defense for um, Mount to pass the ball into to Havertz. And it was a well-worked goal from Chelsea. But does it happen with two defensive midfielders in there? Um, you know, probably not. Um, so from that point of view, and obviously the history of Pep Guardiola at this point is that he overthinks things. That's kind of the yeah. narrative that that is put on him. But I don't think that was the case here. Um, you know, I think this was. Um, you know, when I think of overthinking things like that Leon game, I think was the example of it because like they were a significantly better side than Leon. They decided to switch it up for no real reason and it completely backfired because the players all look kind of confused on the pitch as to like, why are we playing this way? How are we supposed to play now? This is different. Um, and it just seemed to confuse everyone and Leon exploited that very well. Um, and even then, Man City were still kind of unlucky not to go through anyway. Yeah. Um so that, I think, is a perfect example of Pep overthinking it, where he just completely changes things for no real obvious reason. You know, I think he had a plan for why he did this. I think the players were a bit more prepared for it. You know, in the early stages, they really went for it. And at that point, I was like, oh, they're going ultra aggressive here. They're just going to yeah. out-attack Chelsea. And Chelsea handled that really well and reacted to that really well. And then uh once man city realized that they weren't going to break this chelsea side down so easily that's kind of when it all fell apart yeah uh and you're right though that pep didn't adapt to that either like just bringing on jesus and aguero Aguero, yeah that that kind of reminds me of when you know a Mourinho side is chasing the game and he just takes off a center back for a striker it was very similar to that um which really goes back to show how basic football management could be sometimes is just as simple as take off the big man up front yeah yeah put the big man up front where was where was david james um like and honestly they could have used something like that because they and like sorry go on you were finishing a point no like i I, maybe they could have used something like that they don't really have something like that so um you know they were kind of lost at that point like you're you're right though that at one nil in the second half, I, I like, I, you know, Matthias, friend of the show, of course, um, I text him at, I think it was when De Bruyne went off, or even maybe right before it, that I was like, oh, man, or Chelsea have this one. Uh, he's a Chelsea fan, of course. So um, he, he, he wasn't as common as I was, but like at that point, it just became kind of He should have been. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to ask as well, what did you make of, of the Kevin De Bruyne thing? This is one thing that I find quite interesting. Do you think Antonio Rudiger should have been sent off for that? Oh, yeah. I um and I think the referee completely flubbed it. Um, I it was it was surprising. In real, it depends on the angle you were at. From some certain angles, and I think the angle that say Pep Guardiola might have been at, if I'm remembering the angle correctly, because someone had a camera view with with him in the shot, it didn't actually look like what it was. But if you watch it from, I think the behind angle, the reverse angle, where you can kind of see, uh, the play, how the play is developing, the ball being moved out to the right hand side, and uh. 
De Bruyne going for that run. It was entirely uh, intentional from Rudiger. He had moved forward. He was on the man marking job on or the rotational foul job on on De Bruyne. And you know, I don't know whether he intentionally used his face mask um, or not. I don't know if he's that way inclined in terms of vindictiveness. But he certainly used his face mask in the challenge and was in the, like his whole intention was to body check and interrupt the game. And uh, he did it, and he, as it turns out, what was it, an, an orbital fracture and a broken nose, I think that's what Kevin De Bruyne has. And mm-hmm. I don't know what the story of his concussion was, but again, concussion's a very serious thing as well. Like, De Bruyne wasn't well after it. You know, he tried to get up and go on, and he, he tried to even watch the match, and he wasn't able to. So, you know, it kind of shows you how badly it had impacted him. Um, not, you know, and I... I don't know whether it would have resu- changed the result of the match because I think like Man City were spent in terms of their ideas, uh, even at that point. But it certainly, you know, I, a red card might probably would have been the just dessert that, for for that challenge because it there's it, it was um, intentional. It was a professional foul. Mm. Um, a few years ago, there was, and I I always bring up this Granite Jacket situation. I think it was against Swansea. Granite Jacket did a, a professional foul in. The Swansea half, I think it was on the on the sideline, effectively, just at, at level with the box of the Swansea penalty area, and he took out the player. It was a clear foul, yellow card, and he got sent off for it. Got a red card, and it was you know un unsportsmanlike conduct, uh, you know that kind of way. And it was like this is good. This is a good day for football. And since then, I've never seen a player sent off for similar action. Yet it happens. Um, I I think I saw it in matches last week uh, between. Was it Leicester and uh, who were Leicester playing the last day of the season? Spurs. Mm-hmm. I saw there was a few. Okay, there, I think there was an occasion when Ian Acho was absolutely taken out of it in his own half while they're on a breakaway from I think a Spurs corner, and that would when it was two all I believe, and the, you know the Champions League space was there two one, and it was a yellow card, not a red card, and that would have changed the complexion of the match obviously at that point. Um, but it didn't happen for for them in that in that case, and that would have put them in the Champions League. And a draw in that match would have put them in the Champions League. And as it turned out, Chelsea would have qualified anyway. Uh, so poor Leicester. Leicester are the real losers this weekend, as it turns out yet again. Um, and I, I I think this Rudiger challenge falls into that because he knew what he was doing, and like not that he was at it all night, but the Chelsea team were at it all night. They were making those rotational fouls in the same way Man City players would have been at it as well if they were in the same type of position back against the wall and they have to do what they have to do to win the match um, but yeah I, I definitely think that should have been a red card for Rudiger and I suppose we'll move on to the Europa League final uh, which well, Manchester, Manchester United lost uh, can, 11-10 on penalties which is a pretty magnificent scoreline for a penalty shootout um, what, Unai Emery gets a fourth Europa League that man uh, loves Europa round League. as well he really loves it alright um, DRL get there first European trophy. I think their first major honor in general as well, which is um, it's a great story for them. Small uh, town, yeah. What is the story for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Um, it basically it ma- he manages to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I think last week we were singing his praises, you know, given his limitations of a manager, which we all acknowledge he has, um, and given the resources at his disposal, which we all acknowledge are enormous. Uh, he was about to have a very successful season at Manchester United. Everyone had acknowledged that Man City were miles ahead of everybody else. COVID ball, uh, Pep, Pep Guardiola had, had adapted the COVID ball the best, as you said. 
And now a week later, his reputation looks to be in tatters. Pep has been found out again by a similar by a team playing similar style of football to Manchester United. Um, and they've been beaten by a team who, in my opinion, you know, they're awful. You know, Unai Emery's Villarreal, they, they don't have much going for them in the attacking sense of the game. I know they've scored some goals um, this season and, and those players very unlikely have scored a, a fair few goals individually as well. But they're, they're not up to much. They're, they are, I think, defensively weak. And I think they can be exploited by good players playing good football. I don't think their system is rock solid the way Chelsea's is, where you can just count on playing three or four centre-backs effectively and having your attacking players come back and cover the wings. I don't think Villarreal are good enough for that, and, and I don't think they were on the night. Yes, there they are. They, 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 they held Manchester United. They scored. They, they managed to keep the, the goals down afterwards. They managed to play for penalties, which I definitely think they did. You know, if you watch back the footage, like I think they were going for penalties from a relatively early stage once once it was obvious that that was what the you know a likely outcome. And once they were in penalties, they I I am absolutely certain because I think Unai Emery said it when he was Arsenal manager against Chelsea in the Europa League final several years ago uh, that the team had spent a lot of time practicing penalties at that point. Uh, and I'd say he had his Villarreal team very well briefed on. The, the goalkeeper's preferred stance and penalties, the the way that they would drive, the you know, so they would score a lot of goals. And eventually Manchester United went down to the weakest players they could have taken their goal the taking their penalty kicks and one of them was the goalkeeper and he unfortunately for him missed. And that gives uh, Villarreal uh, their first trophy and really condemns Manchester United to just being outwitted by uh, by a guy who likes to be clever in, in matches like this and wasn't really. And um, yeah, it's a kind of, their whole season's a bit in tatters now. Uh, like Man City have been kind of given a, a black eye right before the end of the season. It makes them their, their second place finishing look not as bright as it did a week ago. And they've ended the season trophyless again. And, and now this spectre, which I thought um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would, would rid himself of this past week of not winning a trophy with, with Manchester United and not, you know, you know, is like the way he had got to a final at long last and he's managed to create a whole new one. And will Solskjaer ever win a trophy at Manchester United? It's not looking likely. Yeah, it's, um, you know, at the, at the start of the season, if you'd said, you know, Solskjaer and Man United get to a Europa League final, I think most fans would have wondered how they even ended up in the Europa League. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I don't think this is a catastrophe for Solskjaer in that sense, because like, it is the Europa League. It's not They've not thrown away a league title or a Champions League win, which I think would have been a, a total disaster. Um, you know, I well, think, I, I think Pep yeah. Guardiola had the 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 worst week. Um, in terms of yeah, how they felt afterwards. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I'm sure Guardiola's a mess somewhere. Um, somewhere in Portugal. He, right he, now. Yeah. he um, did seem relatively like not not. I don't want to say content with the place, but he seemed like accepting, accepting. of the situation in a very gracious manner, and like yeah. But but for Solskjaer, like you're right, it it does pose the question of will he ever uh, win a trophy with the club? And you know, this is a a thing. You know, this is the Pochettino narrative kind of mm. coming up all over again. Pochettino never won a trophy with Spurs, and you know, was that a bad thing for Pochettino, or was his league progress really the the more important thing? And the fact that they got to Champions League finals, obviously Solskjaer hasn't done quite that well 
but the league progress is there. I think he's done enough to earn another year at the club. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any pressure under him at all at the moment. Mm. I've no doubt that they will bring in players in the summer, one or two. Yeah. Um. So and I let, think let a few go as well. Let I a few imagine. go. Yeah. Um. So I don't think this is a huge disaster for Solskjaer. It is bad, obviously. Yeah. Uh, they should have won this match. The fact that it it's a penalty shootout that went to eleven ten as well. Like, there's really only so much. <laughs> You could do yeah. at that point. Um, but it's not it going is... to be remembered like that. It's just going to be remembered as a loss, you know? Yeah, in... and, you know, and it's the fact that they got to a penalty shootout in the first yeah. place. They should have been able to win this match before that. Yeah, um, like Villarreal are the worst team to win the Europa League in. Like, uh, Emery's Sevilla sides had very good players in them, and they played, you know, a, a, at times exciting brand of football. You know, Chelsea Football Club winning it a couple of years ago. They're, they were a Champions League team in the Europa League. Atletico Madrid winning it were a Champions League team in the Europa League. Even that Manchester United side, it was Jose Mourinho and the Champions League side that won that Europa League. This is by far, I think we're we're going back 15, maybe even 20 years to find a, a Europa League winner this poor. But and I think it's a good thing that VRL did win this. Like I'm, I'm very happy for them as, yeah, a, as yeah. a club and... Obviously, Bruno Embry as well is kind of a. Obviously, he well he got the revenge over Arsenal, so that yeah. probably meant a bit more. To made him the season the probably, yeah. Um, but it does set up an interesting kind of start to the season for Man United, and how they bounce back from this. And you know, if they do start poorly next season, mm. then Solskjaer will no doubt be under a lot of pressure. Um, but it it it's obviously a huge missed opportunity as well. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But uh, there was a lot of kind of doom doom mongering over this one i don't think mm. it was necessarily that horrible obviously it's no. a horrible experience for the players but it's um i don't think yeah. it's a tragedy that they lost this either no no but it's kind of it brings it's it's like this was the redemption not the redemption point for the whole season like the the way you know chelsea lost the fa cup final they had a poor enough premier league season but they got the Champions League in the end, and that makes everything worthwhile. And this is almost the inverse. Manchester United had an all-right Premier League season. Oh, sure, they got knocked out of the Champions League in a pretty humiliating fashion in the end. But they got the Europa League, and they were going to win it, and it was going to be a good end to a bad year. And it just gets snatched away from them, and then it makes you feel just empty and crap. And then you you start being self-critical of the whole season that's gone before it. And when you look at it as a whole and the opportunity that was there to really do something in, like Chelsea show it. Chelsea aren't a great side, as we've discussed. They are a fantastic team. They have some of the best cobbled together individuals in Europe, and they prove they prove that by managing to win the Champions League. Um, but you know, Manchester United are not that far behind them in terms of player for player personnel. And they could have done something similar, but as it turns out, they've done nothing. And they're going to get the same reward as Chelsea in terms of their league finish. Second doesn't mean much more than was it fourth, where Chelsea finished in the end of their loss. You know, that doesn't mean anything different to, to, to the grand scheme of things. So you're just like looking around and like, what, what was this all for this year? And it, it just gives you that empty kind of barren feeling. And going into next season, you're looking into it and you're like, well... You know, it's not going to get much better next season. Like, like Manchester United could invest into more players, but so will Man City next season. Probably they're probably going to win it again. Maybe Liverpool will start rebuilding the next season and have fewer injuries. Chelsea, you know, I I, I still am quite confident that uh, 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 Thomas Tuchel will be sacked in the in traditional fashion after winning a European trophy at some point in the next twelve months. He probably won't be the Chelsea manager. Uh, so I can't wait for that day. 
Um, but you know, other teams should be getting better. This was the opportunity season, and if you're at Manchester United, you're like, there is a limitation to what you can achieve with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager, no matter what money you throw at it. And this might be the the realization point for a lot of Manchester United fans. There could be change in the offing, and I know we're on top of it in a while, but like, there there will be managers available in the near future, and there is going to be a change at board level in Manchester United with the, with a new chief executive coming in he might want to appoint his own man and that mightn't be Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And finally, Brentford finally uh, pulled the trigger on actually getting promoted. They, I think it was their ninth attempt at winning the playoffs and they finally did it. They beat Swansea 1-0 or 2-0 rather in, in Wembley on Saturday. Are they going to be a good addition to the Premier League? Um, it'll, it'll depend on what their squad makeup is. Brentford, I think Brentford made a horrific <laughs> error by getting promoted to the Premier League. I think their model perfectly suited the Championship and getting just about there every season, being the exciting team, bringing in managers that have positive ideas and are and are uh, and are forward thinking at least at the time that they're at the club, and you know managing to do that Atletico Madrid thing of selling your best player and then buying two others every year and making it work for them. I don't know if that model is sustainable in the Premier League because the money, the, the, the amounts that are needed to do that in the Premier League uh, explode exponentially. It goes from being, oh, you know, three or four million here or there for, for some player from League One or from the Norwegian Premier Division to requiring you to spend 20 or 30 million on a left back that mightn't work out. Um, and that, you know, the likes, you know, Ream Brewster is a good example of it at Sheffield United. Like, they're not even in that money ball game, but they... They took a gamble on a player and it, he didn't score one goal for them the whole season. Like Brentford are, are well-versed in doing that in the Championship and in the Premier League, the amounts are just so much greater that it could really endanger the club. I know their, their owner is a gambler and that's how he made his fortune. I, I, I worry about them in the Premier League. We'll, we'll see what, what, what squad they can pull together for next season. If they'll keep their manager, I don't even know if they will, to be honest. And how they perform when things start going badly because I think they've been... It's been a good few years now since Brentford were, were dilly-dallying near, near a relegation battle. And uh, they're definitely going to be in one next year. Yeah, like, you know, it is difficult. But if I, of the clubs that have come up recently, like, Fulham aren't particularly well run. And they still almost set up with Scott Parker as manager. You know, I do think that a well-run club, like we saw with Leeds and Chevy Noir, like, there is... Honestly, in the past as well. well, yeah, yeah. Um, Wigan, no. there, there, there is, there is examples I, of of well run clubs staying in the league if they're, and I think if, they, yeah. they're well positioned to do that. Like their owner was on, I think it was the Totally Football Show lately. He was talking about, you know, the most that they plan to spend on a player is around twelve million. I think was the figure he said. Like if they can, if they can pull that off and still bring in players that have been as successful as who they've brought in in the past, which you know their track record does speak for itself, then I think they could be quietly. A pretty solid team next year, you know. I'm not expecting them to blow the league away like Leeds did this year and finish ninth or anything, but you know they have the potential to be safe um, come the end of April, um, solidly fifteenth or something like that. You know they have but, that potential. Yeah. I don't think they're obvious certs to go straight back down in a way that West Brom felt like from day one this season. Like they have mm. greater potential than that, and I think Dude, for that but, reason they were a better fit than. Swansea, who if they had won that match, I would have predicted them to go straight back down next year. Yeah, like I, I, I would, I would disagree slightly. And like, do they have a, a greater potential to stay up than West Brom? I think their their squad makeup in terms of age, profile, and quality is quite similar to West Brom. 
I think their financial means are probably quite similar, if not lesser, than West Brom. Um, and that well, would seen, worry me. We've seen that they are much shrewder in the transfer market, that they have yeah. more exciting players. Like Ivan Tony got 31 goals. And he's not going to be at the club next season. I, well, I, we don't I can know almost that. guarantee you. Well, like well, they, we they always, they ha- their model is based on the fact that you build them to a certain level and you sell on. It, what, it's, it works up the pyramid as well. And I, I, I don't want to get wrong that I don't think a club like Brentford could exist at the top level. It's how Ajax function. It's how Borussia Dortmund function. It's how some clubs in the Premier League probably want to function. But no one has done it successfully in that league yet. Um, I, but you're I also feel... talking about like 12 months ago, they saw they sold Ollie Watkins, yep. uh, who ended up doing a great, having a great yep. season at Aston Villa. And they replaced him with a guy who scored more goals and, and had a better season. I know, I know. Like they are very clever at who they yeah. uh, bring into the club. So, you know, I, I'll it's, be interested it's... to see what they do over the summer and I'll be very interested to see how they perform in those opening few games next season because I'm confident that they're well run enough that they won't just be a 20 point down by March kind of side. No, like um, I, 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 I think it's, I don't know if I could make a prediction that to be that bad by any stretch of the imagination. You could be right. They could well be like a Reading and, and finish comfortably in the, in the upper echelons of the bottom half of the table. Um, but I, I, I just have the, the impression that they, for if, if the right price comes along or the right offer comes along for some of their players, they're better players, they're more seasoned pros, the ones that would make it at a Premier League level, they will let them go. And the, the ability to find the next hidden gem, the, the, the bit of the diamond in the rough, if you will, becomes one, more difficult, and two, much more expensive the minute you become a Premier League club. And I, I worry for that because they have to get every decision right. And not every, you know, we hear about the Tonys, we hear about the Watkins, we hear about the McBurney was before then. We hear about those when they work out, but we don't hear about the ones that don't work out. And we'd have to go through the books and see which, which ones didn't and which ones did. But the ones that don't start to rack up very quickly in the Premier League, at least they have done in the past with similar clubs that have done this sort of thing. Like Watford have had a feral attempt at it in recent times. I know, was it Crystal Palace had a go at it as well in, um, when they first got re-promoted into the league. And both of those clubs abandoned that. Um, at least to a certain extent, they did abandon it. And yeah, I be, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that a system like that could work. And I'm excited in, in theory by the arrival of Brentford in the Premier League. I think they're a lovely club. Always have been. They're in a nice part of England. Um, I think they'll have a nice little kind of similar to Bournemouth type of atmosphere at their ground. Um, I think they will be exciting to watch if they continue to play the football, if they hold on to their manager and if they stick true to those ideas, even if they get rid of that manager. And yeah, it, it, it could be good. I just fear for them in a way that the Premier League is often unforgiven to, to clubs that try to do something different and it takes some time to, to get it right. Like if you're, you're too young, definitely too young to remember, but when direct, the notion of a director of football came in in the late 90s, it was laughed at, laughed out the door for many years uh, because every club that tried it, oh, this is the last attempt at a club about to go down. That was how it was, how it was framed. But nowadays, every single club, you're, you're actually ridiculed if you don't have a proper uh, system in place to be a director of football and if you have like a manager responsibility own, like of everything, it's like almost like, wow, that is not a modern way to run the club. You can't possibly do that. It's a silly thing to do, etc. and so forth. So I, I have a feeling that what Brentford do with their Moneyball type of uh, system and their, their, their nice way of adopting a style of play is refreshing and new. I think it might be too early for primetime TV, if you know what I mean. 
Managerial merry-go-round kicked into gear last week when Antonio Conte and Zinedine Zidane both left their respective roles. Since then, Andrea Pirlo left Juventus and speculation surrounding Maurizio Pochettino and Ronald Koeman became rife. Is all this chaos indicative of the summer ahead? I think so. Like, I think we have an international tournament coming. I know there's definitely some you people think? on hot... Well, I know there is an international <laughs> tournament. Well, we assume, unless something goes dramatically wrong in the next few days. There's an international tournament coming this summer, or multiples, actually, in fact, across the world, which is silly in the current situation still, and especially with a certain, certain number of those countries that are actually still uh, hosting them. But that's beside the point. There is more changes coming. There is managers, like, not everyone is as... Um, how would you say it? Not that everyone is as organized as the Germans in that they have Hansi Flick coming in for Yogi Love when he leaves and everything's dotted and everyone's happy with the situation there. There is a lot of open slots in a lot of big clubs. There's a lot of managers at big clubs who are not particularly liked and are almost in a stopgap position, looking at you, Ronald Coleman. Um, and now we're getting to see what teams really think and what they want to achieve um, you mentioned Pirlo at, at Juventus. Like, obviously, they've they've gone back and appointed. Uh, uh, um, oh my God, what's his name? Allegri, Max Allegri. Uh, they've reappointed Max Allegri, and that makes you think: What else is going to happen at Juventus? Are they want to recapture the joy of pa- the past in the similar way to Zidane being appointed at, at Real Madrid, and you know how that didn't really work out in the long run. Or are they looking to actually set up a proper system and give in to what Max Allegri wanted, which is like uh, like having a proper system around them signing players and a way to play and not just signing Cristiano Ronaldo and hoping everything else fixes itself? Um, is that what's going to happen? But at other clubs, it does make you wonder what on earth is going on. Obviously, Coleman at Barcelona, they, he was a dead man walking for months. And this happened with uh, Valverde as well in the past when he was readily acknowledged as a dead man walking yet was left in charge to a following season where he was eventually sacked. And I think that's, that's the future, that what's, what's in store for Ronald Koeman as he goes in, if he stays in charge into next season. It turns out he probably shouldn't have left the Dutch after all. But then you look at PSG and Mauricio Pochettino, and that is the most bizarre of all situations. Yeah, like the, the stuff around Juventus is quite interesting. Obviously, they were the, the bastion of Italian football for so long, and then it all collapsed so suddenly. And Pirlo was such a random appointment, such a uh, poorly judged appointment. The heads have rolled for that. Par, par, what's his name? Paratici? I always forget how to pronounce it. Left, he was there, basically their director of football. Uh, was sacked last week. There's reports that Maurizio Rivabene, the former uh, Ferrari Formula One team, uh, team principal from about 2016, 2018, is coming in as the new CEO, which is, um, you know, he doesn't have a background mm. in football, but he has a background in kind of delegating. Yeah. So um, that's going to be an interesting appointment. Uh, you know, he is a slightly familiar face for for those who have a kind of a crossover and interest there, I guess. Mm. Um, you know, he has ties to the Agnelli family and the Philip Morris, um, the, the cigarette industry uh, or something. I, I'm not entirely sure of his pre-Ferrari background, but that, that was kind of how he got in uh, there. It was through uh, his ties to the Agnelli family. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Is it a bit of a throwback? Is it going to be a more laid-back approach? The, the Even the idea of bringing Agnelli back, like the it was James Horncastle that reported the the reason that uh, Allegri left was because he, he wanted to build a team around Paolo Dybala and they didn't 
uh, think that was the way to go. They instead wanted to build it around Cristiano Ronaldo. Does this mean now that Ronaldo is set to leave? Probably. You know, there was yeah. reports that he's available for 28 million euro or something like that today um, on the Athletics. So, you know, where does he go? What's the situation with Messi? Mm. What's the situation, of course, with Ronald Koeman as well? Um, mm. You know, they've signed Aguero. They announced that today on with a 100 million release clause, which is ambitious um, in his contract. Um, you know, that's you know, that's not a great luck signing Aguero, I don't think, especially because 12 months ago it was Luis Suarez who was leaving because he was the geriatrical forward. Now they're bringing one back in. He is on lower wages, but it just doesn't speak to long-term planning, especially because the ties of Aguero to Messi is kind of best friends at Argentina at a young age. It does feel a bit like let's bring in Aguero to satisfy Messi. Yeah, so let's cheer up Messi. Yeah. Um, you know, so it it... it that doesn't give uh, a lot of belief to me anyway, that these clubs are learning from their mistakes. Uh, no. You know, there was a story today from Dermot Corrigan that uh, Barcelona are paying a young player like 600 grand to not play for them, to not even sign for them so that he can then go to Real Betis or something like that. It was a really bizarre headline. Um, mm. You know, that doesn't speak to a club that's well run, despite the fact that they are under new owner. Well, not ownership, but, you know, they have a new president in Joan Laporta. Um, you know, with Real Madrid, you, you don't trust them to to pick uh, a proper managerial appointment, you know, especially with the stories of they were going to bring in Conte and then Ramos vetoed that. Is that going to be the case again? Are they just going to fall back on a club legend like Raul, who's been reportedly uh, of interest in the role, uh, in, as well as Conte and uh, Mirce Pochettino as well? Like that whole situation as well as a mess. What does this all mean for the transfer market as well? Of course, all these managers will want to bring in their own players to build their own team. You know, these clubs don't have a lot of money to spend uh, and they're spending it poorly, as we've seen with Aguero, potentially. So, um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't build confidence that these clubs will bounce back after what I would say was a disappointing performance uh, this season, particularly based on how they performed in the Champions League. You know, Barcelona knocked out in the last 16, Juve as well. Real Madrid did get to a semi-final, but they weren't convincing. Um, you know, these clubs, you know, they, 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 they don't seem like they're on the right track. They don't seem like they know what they're doing. And a lot of this does come back to these are the people that decided that they were bigger <laughs> than football and wanted to yeah. join a Super League. And they think they have a God-given right to be at the top of the game. So, you know, it just seems like another... Um, another piece of evidence to suggest that these clubs are on a townward spiral that could be similar to what Manchester United suffered after Ferguson or what Arsenal are going through now or what Milan mm. went through for the last 10 years, um, which is quite staggering, really. Yeah, like it, it's... Um, like, is it a cycle of, of, of football? Is this something that just we haven't seen because we didn't have this access to super clubs? And, you know, occasionally, you know, Juventus were winning... Uh, Serie A's in the early 2000s but they weren't doing anything in Europe uh, dramatically and maybe we're getting repeated at Bayern Munich in the, for about 10 years there did, didn't scratch a surface in Europe and you know we, we didn't really bat an eyelid at that but maybe now we're we're so ingrained in every league we know what's going on we can see the turmoil that's happening and maybe just the numbers are much greater now as well which makes us think like this is mind numbing or not mind numbing but mind altering mind blowing uh, that's the, the amount of debt they're in, the amount of money they're playing pairs, the, the goings on that are happening. Maybe this stuff has always been going on and we've only just recently noticed it <laughs> and taken an interest in it. Um, perhaps it's that, like, there, 
there like last season we talked about how it didn't seem a lot of change was happening everything seemed very settled you know the um given how covid football had gone and given how you know it doesn't look like any teams are are sure are are slow to make uh, immense changes because they don't want to to rock the boat too hard and they don't want to upset things and there's not much going on in the market as a result of that but this summer seems to be the complete antithesis of that we're getting potentially you know i it, it's unlikely but you know there there could well be changes in the top of of english football you know pep looked you know is pep done at man city i don't think he is obviously i don't think he's going to leave is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer done? Like, I, I think it's a matter of time. I think we've said that for about a year now, but the new appointment of a chief executive of Manchester United, will that accelerate things along, given that I think everyone at United now knows that this is their ceiling. They're not going to get any better under Solskjaer than he's at. Do they want to let him spend more money? As we said in the earlier parts, like they're one of the clubs without a director of football, so there isn't that buffer uh, between between ranks that can kind of make those footballing decisions. So the, the book does stop at Solskjaer. So is that a club that wants to make changes yeah. at Barcelona? They're so messed up financially that could they even afford to pay off Coleman's contract or to, you know, buy a new manager in or pay for the contract of a, of a highly rated manager to come in and manage that whole mess that's there? Do they even want to do that? Do they want to sell Messi? Do they want to keep Messi? I, 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 I don't even know anymore. And Real Madrid, like, what do, what do you do with a club like Real Madrid? You know, how do you solve a problem like Maria? They they don't know what they want to be anymore. They they were Project Laticos. They were oh bring in the young players and do something different. Bring in all the Dutch players. Okay, sign Cristiano Ronaldo. Get everything behind him and make the team work to him. Oh, we're getting rid of Ronaldo now. What do we do? And that's the the world they've been in for the last few years. Like without a real design to what they want to achieve. I think they need a, a complete reset. But financially they're they're technically in the same boat as, as Barcelona, if not with better credit access than Barcelona, that might bail them out. But they're it's it's all over the place. And we haven't even spoken about Paris Saint Germain. Yeah, and the fact that it, it, this affects so many clubs at the same time has kind of left everyone at a standstill momentarily. Mm. Because like it does seem like it will be a bit of a domino effect because, you know, what does Pochettino do? Well it depends on yeah. what Real Madrid do, it depends on what Tottenham do, don't even have a manager. Yeah, and depends what Manchester United do. They might, like Man United have let opportunity like Solskjaer has not had a bad season. We we sung his pages last last week. They've done well. It's just been soured by the last week and, and the way things have gone. But do they look at the bigger picture? They've missed out on managers before. They've missed out missed out on Nagelsmann. They've missed out on um, Pochettino. They've missed out on Klopp. They've you know they've missed out on managers before when by being umming and awing and not getting behind something and having another guy in place or having another idea in place. Do they go and and rip the bandaid and go get Pochettino when he wants away from PSG? Do they pay them off, which they can do, or? Do they just stick with Solskjaer, let Pochettino go back to Spurs and and then hope something happens for their next managerial appointment that works out? Yeah, like I think if, if Pochettino does go back to Spurs, that's probably the end of the idea of Maurizio Pochettino, the Manchester United manager at this point. Um, it- you know, I think if 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 the club was more ruthless, if if it was you know the, the 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 last I think the last twelve months have shown the difference between a club like Chelsea and a club like Man United. Like Chelsea had a club legend, you know, a, a bigger legend than Solskjaer probably, mm-hmm. or oh, not yeah. even probably definitely. Yeah, um, top scorer, know, like top top scorer, won everything there. Uh, one of the top appearance makers. 
you know, Solskjaer is more of a cult hero, really, in, in, in the greater scheme compared to Lampard. Anyway, but both legendary players of the club, mm-hmm. um, becoming managers. Things weren't working out with Lampard. They sacked him. They brought in Tuchel and now they won a Champions League. May not have stuck with Solskjaer through thick and thin. And there's been, a lot, you know, there's a lot of both of those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there's been bad moments and good moments. Uh, but they've stuck through them, stuck with him through the bad. And they've seen some good. Uh, but ultimately, they they don't look like a team that's going to be in a Champions League final next year. They don't look like a team that's going to be top of the league uh, near the business end of the season next year. You know, they might be top in October, maybe. Um, but, you know, Tottenham were top in October. And look where they are now. Yeah. So, you know, they 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 will probably stick with Solskjaer. You know, there was a report that they're penning a new three-year contract for him. So, you know, the, the, this is the difference between how these clubs are run. Chelsea are, are ruthless. Yep. They, they only care about winning and uh, they don't care who they win with, really. Uh, you know, whether it's Lampard, whether it's Tuchel, whether it's Avram Grant, they don't particularly care as long as they get their hands on the trophy. Whereas with Man United, you know, it's, they'd like to win. Is it really the ultimate goal? You know, maybe, maybe not. You know, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. Um, they're certainly, you know, I, I think if the club was a bit more serious about themselves, they probably have already had Mirce Pochettino's manager. He would have never ended up at PSG. Um, but I suppose that's just the way that club is run. You know, there's talks that I think it's going to be Richard Arnold that's going to replace uh, Ed Woodward, who's just, you know, as expected, a continuation of the same process. You know, I wouldn't expect him to be do- too different to Ed Woodward. I'm, I'm sure they've worked closely together. They both probably agree that Solskjaer is the man right now. So I, I, I if if I was to break where Maurizio Pochettino ends up, I, I wouldn't guess Man United. Yeah, like with Manchester United specifically, I think custodianship is is an important thing that's often looked looked over or overlooked rather. Um, like the Glazers own other franchises, if you if you will, in other sports, and they appoint people who are ruthless. And at Manchester United, they've proven, I think, time and time again, that they're not ruthless and they're not going for what could potentially happen for them. Um, and I think that holds them back greatly, as you said. Like, if I were to make a prediction, I I would say Pochettino will leave PSG if he if he wants to get out of there, he's going somewhere else. Where he ends up, like I I I it looks as though it's going to be Tottenham Hotspur. He may like it there. He may like have the comfort of there, and that's good for him. And he could become a long term fixture in the Premier League again. And maybe the Daniel Levy has learned from his errors in his ways uh, in the past eighteen months. And come out the other end of it a much, you know, much happier man as a result. Um, for the other appointments, like I think Italy's going to be an interesting enough. Like, well, it's interesting enough, and then some of the interest has gone away. I think some of the lower level managers who were quite impressive have now been promoted again, like Simone and Zaghi's at Inter. Inter have a habit of appointing very exciting managers and then spitting them out, having not you utilize the best of them. Um, or even not exciting managers, but good managers. I'm looking at Spalletti. I'm looking at uh, even Benitez, um, the Atlanta manager whose name escapes me now. You know, all of these guys had chances at, at, at this club and it always ends up badly for them. And I, wor- I worry for Simone Inzaghi from leaving the loyal, you know, fan base that he had at Lazio and going, going up to, to Milan and, and doing something there. But then the flip side of that is having, a, you know, having the... the that wonderful battle of yin and yang between Mourinho and Maurizio Sarri in Rome, you know, that's that's a very exciting prospect ahead. But 
in in the other leagues, it's all still up for question. And will will we see like some exciting appointments, or will we see like Conte going to Real Madrid, and I don't know Xavi going to Barcelona, or the you know very you know cookie cutter appointments that aren't going to really progress the game any further. They're not going to shake up anything. They're not going to be the next Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp. Uh, but they'll just keep us ticking over for another season. Like, will Zidane go to Manchester United? That's that's what I want to know. Zidane in England would be fun, though. He doesn't speak any English, as far as I understand. So it's it'll be a, it'd be a tough one. I don't know if he has that appetite to learn English either. Maybe I'm completely wrong there. Um, but yeah, it would be. I think he would get a lot of respect, and I think that counts for a lot. Uh, especially not just as a former player, because I think that ends at a certain point. But the, the by virtue that he's worked with the players he's worked with and also won the multitude of titles he's won in such a short space of time with seemingly limited tactical expertise is pretty impressive and uh it seems to be something that's more important in this modern game than than not necessarily more important but it's something that seems to be as equally as important as as the whiz kid brains uh, or what the einsteins as Mourinho calls them that, that that's do be inspecting tactical videos and coming up with massive game plans and etc and so forth the, the likes of pep or emery or um thomas Tuchel, you know the guys that really are anoraks about this whole thing uh, yeah well though frankly i'd probably expect sedan to end up in as the new france national team manager after the euros um i uh, know come on arson wenger for that i want arson wenger to get back into management just for the crack yeah at this point it's been four years since we saw Wenger. I think it'll be another four years before we even think of Wenger. It's a bit of a, you know, to a greater extent, a bit like when Alan Kerbyshire left uh, Charlton. Like, he, I know he had that stint at West Ham, and he just kind of left management and never really came back mm. in a weird way. I think it is a bit like that with um, Arsene Wenger, where he never, nece- didn't ever necessarily retire, but he just kind of stopped. Um, yeah. But uh, with that, we'll stop for this week. We'll be uh, looking at the Euros next week, of course, as that keeps, uh, as, as football keeps going. It never ends, Andrew. It never it ends. Doesn't. It's, it doesn't seem to end this year anyway, that's for sure. And, you know, it, it's, for me, it was an anticlimactic end to the season the, this past week of European finals. I didn't overly enjoy either of them uh, as it happened. And, not, you know, I not that I care too much about the result of them, but it's, and the fact that they went against my predictions didn't hurt me at all. But um, it was more like this, this was a complete symbol of the whole year that's had, we've had before. So I want to draw a line under it. I want the Euros to be better, Copa America, etc., to be better. And I want to look forward to next season. And hopefully it'll be a bit better than this season and there'll be fans and no one will be sick and uh, we can get back to a bit more fun football and a bit more excitement. And let's have all those managerial merry-go-round changes. Let's have players swapping clubs. Let's not just have the same old, same old. Yeah, and let's have fans back in the stadium too. That'll be a nice, fun mm. um, addition to the Euros. And we had that last week as well in the Champions League and Europa League final. So yeah, things it, it are, gave it something. Things are looking up uh, for now. So uh, until then, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Dan. And we'll be back to discuss the Euros next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to tell your family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. This show can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. You can also subscribe to my own Substack at declanhart.substack.com, where I publish two weekly newsletters that will often go further in-depth on topics discussed during our shows. 
Those pieces can also be found on Medium at medium.com slash at cheesy heart pun, H-I-R-T-E. You can also follow Andrew on Twitter at Kanban27 and myself at Cheesy Heartbun. Most of all, thank you for listening and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.